You are listening to the Physics Bug Podcast. Hundreds and hundreds of pages of a very small print with a lot of detail here. Think anybody ever read this stuff? I doubt very many people read it. These complex financial instruments were actually designed by mathematicians and phys- mathematicians and physicists who used algorithms and computer models. Obviously, they turned out to be wrong. Why? Because you can't model human behavior with math. The instruments themselves are at the heart of this mess. They are complex, in effect, mortgage science projects devised by these Nobel track physicists who came to work on Wall Street for the very purpose of creating complex instruments with all manner, and the complexity of these structures is at the very center. Wow, physics got blamed for a lot last year. I wonder what we can do this year. <laughs> Happy New Year, Chris. Do you have any New Year's resolutions? Yeah, I think I'm going to try and lose some weight. Wait a minute. You want to lose weight? Then why did you just eat a bunch of Hershey's Kisses? And you're too skinny as it is. Well, physicists at the OHC are hoping to discover the Higgs particle, which supposedly gives matter its mass. And that means they might also discover an anti-Higgs particle, which wouldn't that mean it would take mass away and help us lose weight? Oh, I see your point. Anyway, welcome to the Physics Buzz Podcast. I'm Nadia Ramlagan. And I'm Chris Desenza. And physicists, uh, or should I say physics, has a list of New Year's resolutions for 2009 that we're going to go through. Yeah, these are things we're hoping physics will discover <laughs> this year, although discoveries are many years in the making, but it'd be a nice New Year's resolution if we can make some progress on these. The first one is to get the LHC working again. The second one is to find gravity waves. The third one is to actually make a quantum computer. The fourth one is to actually make an invisibility cloak. Ooh. And number five, fusion. Six is to find magnetic monopoles. Yeah, they've been very elusive for a long time. There's ever-elusive particles. And last... To stop causing economic disasters. Yes, physicists have been very bad these last few months. And we've been blamed thoroughly for it. So the first New Year's resolution is to get the LHC, the Large Hadron Collider, working again. You may have heard that it suffered a catastrophic malfunction soon after being switched on last September. Physicists now expect it to be restarted in June of 2009. The disaster was called by a faulty electrical connection that led to a leak of super cold helium that caused damage estimated at 20 million pounds. And don't ask me what that is in US dollars because I wouldn't be able to tell you. Anyway, as a result, 53 of the magnets that were used to accelerate subatomic particles around the machine's 17-mile underground tunnel have had to be brought to the surface for repair and cleaning. The total cost of repairing and refitting the machine is likely to exceed 30 million pounds. Another unofficial goal is to hopefully find some black holes. Or, or make them. To help us explain the idea of quantum computers, we have on the phone Ned Flagg. Dr. Ned Flagg, that is. And he's an expert in quantum computers and quantum dots. And he's also the unofficial world champion of Guitar Hero and Rock Can you hear us okay? I can hear you, yeah. Okay, I'm here with Nadia. Hi, Ned. Hi, Nadia. So the first question we have for you is, how do quantum computers compare to regular computers? Well, uh, a quantum computer is theoretically better at a certain class, at solving a certain class of problems than a classical computer is. It uh, utilizes 
quantum interference and uh, entanglement to uh, reduce the time, <coughs> the number of operations necessary to perform certain calculations. Our next question is, how do quantum computers work in, in terms of, um, we've heard that people talk about superposition, so how will it work in that sense? Well, probably the, the most important fundamental difference between a quantum computer and a classical computer is the difference between a classical bit, like your laptop uses, and a quantum bit, or qubit. And uh, a classical bit, as you might know, can be either a 1 or a 0, and a quantum bit can be either a 1 or a 0, or in a unusual sense, anywhere in between, because a, a quantum object can uh, exist in a superposition of, of states. When you actually measure the quantum bit, it will either be a 1 or a 0. It won't be anywhere in between. It'll only give you 1 or a 0. I hope that helps. It's somewhat uh, complicated to, to grasp. Okay, yeah. And, the, and how does that relate to, say, like Schrodinger's cat? So Schrodinger's cat is uh, an illustration of how strange quantum mechanics can be because it's the linking of a quantum object with a macroscopic object, the cat. In Schrodinger's cat, you have a cat in a box with a single radioactive atom and a detector. And when the atom decays, the detector will realize it and break a poison vial which kills the cat. Now, until you measure the state of the radioactive atom, it has, you don't know whether it has decayed. And in a quantum sense, it, has not, it is both decayed and not decayed. And so Schrodinger posed this problem because if the radioactive atom is in... In, is both intact and decayed at the same time. Then the cat is both dead and alive, which is sort of absurd. So <clears throat> the Schrodinger's cat problem is, is more of an illustration of how, how strange quantum mechanics is when it interacts with the macroscopic world. The question I'm going to ask you now might be a bit broad, but hopefully you can answer it. What do you think the future of quantum computers is, and how does this relate to your research in quantum dots? I think that... Uh, Quantum computers that will be usable by anyone but groups with a lot of money are a long way off, several decades at the very least. <laughs> it's possibly decades before even, even say, the government uh, would be able to create or, or, or anyone at any price be able to create a quantum computer that's large enough to be useful for something that a, that a fast classical computer could not do. So I think, I think the prospects of seeing a quantum computer in our lifetime are, are dim, but in several decades, possibly. All right. Thanks so much, Ned. All right. You're welcome. Bye. Bye-bye. So it's, it's interesting how progress is either yeah. super, super fast or incrementally snail-like slow. But then there are some things that they keep saying, we'll have this in 10 years. We'll have this in 10 years. Like and that brings gravity us waves? To our next one. <laughs> well, not gravity. I was going to say plasma fusion. We'll get to that. Gravity waves. Oh, that was a good one. Oh, that's okay. We can switch around. So but, why don't we talk about that next? Well, should we save that? I want to talk about gravity waves. All right, we'll talk about gravity waves. Oh, okay, first. okay. Gravity waves. Einstein said that mass curves space-time. But if that mass explodes, like a supernova, then that curvature will change and cause ripples in space-time. Another example is two orbiting galaxies that create similar disturbances in the curvature. So these disturbances would cause gravitational waves. They're somewhat analogous to waves in electromagnetic energy, which are radio waves and light. 
Light waves are created by electric charges in motion. So if you rub a balloon on your head and shake it around, you're making electromagnetic waves. And the same way if masses move or a large mass explodes, like a supernova, then this should cause gravitational waves, according to Einstein's theory of uh, relativity. These gravity waves are easy to conceptualize when they are regarded in a similar sense as electromagnetic waves. They carry information about change in the gravitational field with time. However, gravity waves have not yet been detected. That's the goal, the ultimate New Year's resolution. Yeah, but some scientists are making progress. As recently as this last summer, researchers at Dartmouth College took a one-ton piece of aluminum, it's a three-meter-long cylinder, what and... What they use it for? <laughs> well, they're gonna use it, hopefully, to detect gravitational waves, and they hope that if gravitational waves from a distant black hole or supernova pass through near the Earth, it should contract and expand this aluminum bar and get it to vibrate, much like the seeming rod, as you may have read on Physics Central. Why does the bar have to be so cold? A metal bar at normal room temperature is constantly vibrating because when things are warm, molecules are shaking around. So what the researchers did is they took this aluminum bar and they cooled it down below the temperatures of liquid helium, down to 0.2 millikelvin. That's just a little fraction above absolute zero. And absolute zero would mean that the atoms aren't moving at all. But that's actually impossible according to quantum mechanics. So these atoms in this giant aluminum bar are moving so slowly that the researchers hope gravitational waves come through, any vibrations in the bar will be due to the gravitational waves and, and they'll be able to see that and it won't be um, shaking because of its temperature. And it turns out this is the record for the largest object to be cooled down this low. Wow. Although I don't know if Guinness Book of World Records has verified that, but that sounds reasonable.